to the Grouchy Club podcast. Uh, Copsticks in Kenya probably getting killed by Al Shabab. Uh, so instead of a, it's Arthur Smith doing an impression, and this is the 25th of November, uh, which is a couple of days early. But we're doing this because it's Arthur Smith's birthday in two days' time. Happy birthday, Arthur, in two days' time. On the 27th, and he's going to be somewhere glamorous, aren't you? No, I was in Mexico last year. Oh yes, this year I'm going to be in Western Supermare. Well, last better. year I was in uh, Querétaro in uh, Mexico. This year I'm in Western Supermare. So your career's on the up then. Yeah, well, they've got a big beach there. Well, why, why are you, you should, you're a major, major international superstar and comedian. Why are you playing Western Superman on your birthday? Sure, you'd have a day off. Well, for two reasons. One, I think you've been very, very rude to the people of Western Superman, which is a very substantial conurbation, one of the great cities of the world. We had that awful, did you talk about that Disney part by the artist? His oh, name escapes me. What, Banksy? That's the, the, that's the one. Was that there in Western Superman? I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, the, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, is it still there? I don't know, I don't know, who knows. Well, I'll have a it's look. A, it's a sidetrack, isn't it? But Western Superman is one of the finest cities on earth, and also, often, it's better off to work on your birthday. It saves having to, like, open cards and pretend to be pleased. <laughs> I mean, really, everyone got born, didn't they? Everyone's got a birthday, it's no real big deal, in my opinion, and there's no real need to celebrate it. Unless it's your 50th or your 60th or your 40th, then you could maybe have a bit of a do. But by and large, birthdays are a pain in the arse. When's yours? I don't care. <laughs> anyway, so here we are, up an alleyway in Soho with a very loud air conditioning <laughs> <Yeah>. system. Yeah, <laughs> Two days just what you birthday. need on yeah, a yeah. minus three degrees centigrade. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about comedy in some form or another, I suppose. You've seen I it. want to talk about mindlessness. Oh, why? Well, this is my new thing. I'm announcing it here first. Oh, I'm running a mindlessness course for beginners oh. where I teach people to be mindless. There are people in the background, by the way, going up alleyways for a, for a fag. But yeah, but I like anything, that, don't you? I, I, I love women smoking fags up alleyways. Anyway. But you, anyway, you know when to be out of here except me and you. Now, one of my neighbours I met on a train, he, he was going to some rather dodgy Scientology-sounding thing about mindfulness. Yes, well, mindfulness is like what other people do. Mine is mindlessness, where, you, where what we do is we cherish being utterly mindless. And doing nothing. Well, we, we try and do things and often it doesn't come off. In fact, if you look on the website under uh, Daphne Fairfax Mindlessness, Ooh. you'll see I've already put a couple of videos up. I, I do a, a towel folding video, which is very relaxing and mindless, but doesn't go very well. Uh, and I've got some colouring in uh, little things. I, I, I advise anyone to look at it. So have you embraced the interweb now? I have. I've discovered it. Have you heard about it? Apparently there's this big thing, like everyone knows everything all over the world all the time. But you seem to, you seem to hold out on a website for years. I know, I've got a website. You, I mean, you can't really not have one, really, with, and still be at all approachable. It's funny to think, isn't it, how long ago it was that... I mean, if someone came back now, I was wondering this this morning, if someone came back from, you know, if you woke up after having been asleep for 25 years... As I have been. Yeah, which is more or less true of both of us. I I think the first thing you'd notice if you went into the street would be everyone looking at the little tin thing, you know, little metal things. Everyone, I mean, more or less everyone. And you'd wonder what it was. I I suppose you'd think it was 
some kind of like we'd all and I, we are slowly this is part of my mind is this thing turning into synthesised creatures and more and more they're turning up you know that woman over there having a fag I think she probably is human but I think she, you know more and more there are people creeping into the world who aren't real they're, they've been fabricated by programmers uh, for example well Jimmy Carr is <laughs> I don't think he's a human being he's Jimmy Carr no he's he's a synthesised creature working on a comedy algorithm that just creates jokes but you know there's no obviously there's no feeling or soul or anything and this is happening more and more the world everyone's job soon will be done by a synthesised creature and we'll just sort of be vegetables sat at home watching afternoon TV. But surely Jimmy Carr's a, a traditional old-style comedian. In fact, he tells jokes which people don't do now. There's, there's Jimmy Carr, there's Tim Vine, there's uh, about three other people doing jokes and everyone else is telling stories. Like, yeah, that's like because that's all that synthesised creatures can do ah. because they're working on a series of algorithms, like I say, so they, they regurgitate you know the form of a joke you're not a joke man yourself a man goes to the doctor the doctor <laughs> says I'm afraid you're going to have to stop masturbating oh no says a man why well says the doctor I'm trying to examine you I nearly fluffed a bunch on I'll do another one man goes to the doctor with a bit of lettuce sticking out of his bottom the doctor says it's just the tip of the iceberg oh no I like an ancient joke but this doesn't mean you're an algorithm. I well, I, yeah, but I'm a Barry Cryer algorithm, and that's a sort of different kind of creature what, altogether. Well, no, Barry Cryer's a sort of a gag merchant, and, and Jimmy Carr's a gag merchant. I have to say, I quite like the Gypsy Moth joke myself, but yeah. The, <laughs> which, hang on, whose Gypsy Moth joke is this one? Jimmy Carr. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that one. Well, he's got in trouble again, I noticed. He's done out. I mean, he's quite clever, you see. Yeah. Uh, it was a classic, you know, he wanted to do a very short joke, and the joke was uh, dwarf shortage. But, of course, he was on the one show, and he got in trouble for that. And then when people complained, he said, oh, grow up, which I thought was a, a double funny. Yeah, I agree. Well, yeah, I mean, okay. I agree, they're good gags. Yeah. But I just wish he, there was... Yeah, but he's not a human, is he? There's no heart. You don't know him as... He's not a, there's no soul, is there? You don't know who he is. Well, who was it? Someone, uh, David Mills, who you probably don't know, was saying... He, yeah, no, I don't know David Mills, the American... Uh, yeah, yeah. He's brilliant. But he, he, was, he was saying he's going to try and incorporate himself more into his act, because he's never really done him, himself before. No, but the thing is, he's a, he was constructed, that's why. He's a synthesised comedian, I told you. David Mills? No, not David Mills. Oh, I see, David Mills is going to yeah, incorporate... Yeah, David Mills is going to incorporate personal stuff, whereas before he's just been a... Uh, 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 yeah, man, so, man sitting on the stool. Yeah, well, I, I think in the end that is a good thing to do because sit on the stool. Well, well at, at our age, the, yeah, yeah. yeah well, no, you're better off with a back to it. But um, <laughs> I think you know having something of yourself is what makes you unique as a comedian, obviously. Whereas if you haven't, then you're just a, yeah, you're a synthesizer. But in the old days, Arthur Askey or uh, Tommy Cooper or anyone that they're all synthesized, aren't they? They're all they're all scripted. Even Frankie Howard, I mean, the idea that Frankie Howard did a script is unbelievable. He did, didn't he? All the zoos and ours. Oh, yeah, I scripted. wrote for Frankie Howard. But you've, you... mistaken, you've mistaken having a script mm -hmm. for being a, a synthesised creature. That not, yeah. That's not necessarily the same. And, and I know very little about comedy, so I actually hadn't I'd forgotten or I hadn't known that you wrote for Frankie Howard. Well, there's no reason. Why should you know that? I mean... I don't, think any, I don't think anyone else in the world knows it, actually, <laughs> except for now you and the two people who listen to this. What are their names? Uh, Sitchin and Dick. 
Well, have you got any women listeners? Well, Sid Sid's a woman. Sid's a, Sid's oh, yeah, transgender. No, well, I'm going to go transgender as well. I mean, that's a new thing. Either I'm going to be a hipster. That's what I am. I'm hipster, mindless, transgender guru. Well, I talked to Will Franken. You know Will Franken? Yes, you, you Sarah. Think, yeah, but now you know, he's thinking of reverting back to, uh, to Will now. Is he? He's going to retain his will, possibly. He's not very sure. Well, it, it must be hard if, if you've got a number of genders available. I mean, you could be a different one every night. Yeah. Anyway, Frankie Howard, you wrote, wrote regularly for Frankie Howard? No, I wrote... There were Years ago, they had uh, this idea for doing... The, loose Ends on Radio 4 did a pantomime. A no, no, pantom- they didn't. Uh, yeah, where's my career? Come on. North. No, you meant to say, behind you! <laughs> I've been working this up as a gag. Anyway, um, and they they did... The idea was it was, you know, carry on Cinderella or something. And I I wrote it, as I recall. Yeah, and there was... I think so, it was only half an hour. And uh, Frankie Howard was in it, as was... What's her name? Claire Rayner was in it. And Julian Clary was in it. Although, you know, this is in the days before the interweb, so you couldn't yeah. look it up and listen to it anymore, yeah. I imagine. It's gone. It's just the words have melted into the pavement. Was there a pavement. motif for this panto? A motif? I don't know. It sounded good. Yeah. yeah. A panto's got a story. You know, Cinderella, if you recall, is as an oppressed woman <laughs> who uh, exploited by, uh, you know, a slave gang, and then she cops off with David Attenborough, you remember the story. It's the perfect elevator pitch, this, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Cinderella. I'm not in panto again this year. Oh, yes, you are. Oh, no, have, I'm not. Have you ever been in a straight panto? I have once been in a panto a in one. Denmark. Bloody hell. Yeah, in Copenhagen in 1984. I was 30. The year... My 30th birthday was in Copenhagen while I was playing... Nurse Nelly Nightcap in a version of um, I can't even remember what the bloody panto was now but it's a thing that still goes on and now it's even bigger, it's much bigger in fact they have an annual English pantomime in Copenhagen which is run by a woman, Vivian uh, McKee who and has been running it for years and it's a huge thing there now, It's because it's like a strange germane art form as far as the Danes yeah. are concerned it's like me and you go to see Kabuki Theatre or something yeah. And um, it's and so you know you'd cut, it was a lot of sort of students of English in the audience and professors of theatre. Uh, so you'd say, "Oh yes, you are," and then someone would cough in the back row, and then you'd hear rustling while they consulted their sheets and saw that they were meant to say, "Oh no, you aren't," <laughs> you know. And it was uh, it was and also I don't think I'd ever seen anyone improvise in a, and I used to improvise a lot, and they were kind of amazed by it. It was, a, it was a rather splendid couple of months, that. Any voices in the background? Are people in the alleyway? So who? So who? So, uh, so has, has Panto spread? Or is it just is one production every year? She just does one every year, but it's like in a much bigger venue now. As it's I just... not in other cities or something? It's not, not a no, no, well, well it, maybe it will be soon. I mean, everything is now, isn't it? Maybe she does, actually. I mean, I think she does all right. It's now like in a great big, like, thousand-seater, and they run for two or three months. It must be strange to suddenly, suddenly bring Panto to a country. I mean, men dressing as women, women dressing as men. Well, I agree. I mean, if you, if you don't know, the form, yeah, yeah, and most yeah, people outside yeah, the English-speaking world don't, yeah. it's a very peculiar thing, isn't it, if you think about it? But most of English theatre, Shakespeare's rather bizarre, with lots of boys doing things. What do you mean? 
Well, it was all men, wasn't it? There were no women in Shakespeare. Yeah, well, there were no actors. Yeah, no, there were no. Uh, it wasn't long after, but yeah, no, there were no yeah. female actors. In fact, it was probably Shakespeare's brother who died young, who may have been the first Juliet. <coughs> Did you know that? I didn't know that. But you, 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 you sell yourself in being a South Londoner, no education, ordinary man next door, but in fact you went to UEA and studied English, and you're very, very... I don't think I've ever sold myself as an uneducated man, have I? Have you not? I thought you... Sold, I don't know if I've sold myself anyway. If I had, I wouldn't be in charge of myself. So my answers are worthless. <laughs> yes, oh no, I'm, I'm a heavy-duty intellectual. I can speak over 16 different languages. What, what might they be? Well, I can speak one, and I can say the opening lines of Dante's Inferno um, in, in the original medieval Italian. Which would be? Nel mezzo del gamin di nostra vita... Mi ritrovai per una selva oscura che la dirita via era smarita. And that's medieval, it, I suppose, modern Italian. Yeah, I mean, it would say about a bit like, say, Shakespeare or earlier, because yeah, it's yeah, 1300. Yeah. But, um, What's that in English? That, well, you know, therein lies a tale. In a way, you know, there have been many translations of Dante, not, and it's very hard to get those first few lines right because it doesn't really work in English but it's something like in the middle of my life I discovered myself in a dark forest and I was lost um, and that is the most famous piece of literature in, in Italian I mean it's like if you know to be or not to be that it's the Italian equivalent and I learnt it originally in order to impress an Italian au pair girl I was obsessed with uh, thinking that somehow you know because I knew she loved literature and so I learnt it, but she then ran off with my good friend Gary instead. And I think, looking back on it, it would be a bit, you know, what to her, it would have sounded like, what would have sounded like, you know, to be or not to be situation, where there is snobra in the mind to suffer, you know. So I don't know what became of... Uh, she was called Mona Lisa, funny enough. I mean, she wasn't. Yeah, she was, I mean, she was no oil painting. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you speak for me. I've been gambling on for hours. Nobody be listening, will I? Yeah. Hello to you, person listening. Why it's don't gone, you just press your nose and go, ah. It's gone down there with two people listening before. That is only one. <laughs> <laughs> well, the lady having a fag in the alleyway is yeah, listening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you're listening. She, 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 no, she's not listening. No, no, she can't speak She just thinks we're a bit odd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two, two, two old men sitting on chairs in a corner and then they're uh, <laughs> an, an extractor fan or whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, what did you think when, when you were doing it was UEA when uh, University of East Anglia you went yes, to in Norwich yes I did and what did you think you were going to be when you were a student yeah. what did I want to be when I what did I want to be when, well I wanted to be a student when I was a student obviously <laughs> you mean what did I want to do when oh, I grew up what do you want to do when you grow up you wanted to be a pedant and you've succeeded in that quite well well I, I am a bit of a pedant for example I will never let anyone go by uh, misusing the word literally and I, oh yes, I, yes. I'm afraid. For example, I interviewed Hal Cruttenden, the comedian, recently. Very charming man, but with a terrible literally illness, where he kept saying literally, and I kept correcting him because he'd always misuse it, as people do. Uh, I'm a bit of a pedant on literally. I'm, another one that annoys me is the ultimate. People are always saying the ultimate oh. gift guide or something. I think bullshit. You'll be publishing another one next week. It isn't the ultimate one. 
I, I once had a terribly embarrassing uh, talk, talk with Stuart Lee, and I found out, I can't remember what the word was, I'd been misusing an apostrophe in, for, for my entire oh life in a particular word. Oh dear. I, I think it was, uh, it was something very embarrassing, because he, he's pedantic about apostrophes. I'm, I'm big on apostrophes, and, and you know, I so miss. Someone should do a show reviving it. it you the know, apostrophe? It, no, the semicolon. I mean, well, yes. no one hardly uses the semicolon anymore, and and they were they were beautiful semicolons. And I, I, I gather that they're all like there's thousands of semicolons like living rough now because they can't get any work. And you know, meanwhile, exclamation marks. I mean, there's millions of them, aren't there? I mean, surely we'll be running out of them soon. Well, the world's got very pithy with sort of full stops instead of semicolons, doesn't it? Yes, or dashes. Yeah, and I quite like a dash. Yeah, I quite like. I mean, I I don't use the semicolon to be honest as much as I used to, and I, I but I feel bad about that. Well, if I were writing a novel, I might. I don't know. How do you punctuate your novel? That's one of the questions you have to ask when you're writing a novel. And why haven't you written a novel? I have written several half novels. Um, well, I haven't ever finished one. I think it's overrated finishing them. <laughs> What's the anticipation? Exactly. Yes. Uh, so, what, how, how many do you think you've written? Like three? Well, I, I wrote half of one once and I was commissioned to do it and then. Well, why did you stop? Because yes. when you're halfway through, it's been such a nightmare, you might as well finish. I, I just didn't think it was good enough. I mean, there, probably for every project I've ever presented, there are ten that have been in one stage or another in the back of a cupboard somewhere. I mean, quite often they're only like. Two pages of notes, and then I give up. But so you, you and Daphne Fairfax wrote your autobiography. Yes, that's true. I wrote the autobiography. Well, it, 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 it's different than autobiography because you haven't got a. Yeah, well, no, of course, you, you do talk. have to construct, in a sense, uh, a, a narrative arc. But uh, obviously, it's not so crucial as in a novel. I mean, you don't necessarily have to die on the page before the end. Or I mean, you know, it's nice to have a revelation at the end. But in a, you know, a proper story. There should be a you know a, a crucial big last climactic moment in which the hero has to dig deep into himself to see if he can save his life or this moment, and then you know that's the climax. Whereas you know uh, an autobiography, yeah, you can do that, but in the end you're messing with chronology is what you're doing to try and give something a shape. I just tried, when you were at UEA, were you under Malcolm Bradbury? Yes, I he was knew. was a great novelist, wasn't he? Yes, indeed, and he started the first creative writing course in uh, Britain, for which he was much vilified, but then when it turned out his first student was Ian McEwan, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, he rather, but uh, yes, no, I knew Malcolm, and um, and I once went spent three days in Indiana with Malcolm Bradbury, where his papers were being archived, and I was interviewing him for a Radio Four show. But why was he vilified for starting? Because you can't teach. Yeah, because you, can, you know people would say you can't teach yeah. uh, people how to write, and you know I mean of course there's some I mean I don't you know there are some people who have many creative writing courses that go on they're not going to be very good writers, but that's not to say you can't learn things about. You know structure and and what you know what's gone before. I mean, if you want to start some big experimental novel, it turns out someone's already written the same one. It's best if you know about beforehand. And if you do, and whilst I didn't do the creative writing course, that was a postgraduate course, and I was an undergraduate. Nevertheless, I'd studied literature, and one of the things you could do was say instead of writing um, an essay about sonnets, 
you could write a sonnet. And actually, if you want to learn what a sonnet is, I promise you, writing one is a far better way than studying hundreds and writing an essay, because you know you're forced into that form, and uh, you realise the possibilities and the difficulties of that form. And I still think it's interesting. You, you've, you've half written novels. You sound like a man to me. Or you, see, you always seemed like a man to me who would finish projects. Uh, and uh, so, had, had you structured the plot, and you knew what the end was. Well. Not entirely, see, that's part of the problem. As we know, in an ideal world, you know, in any story writing course you might go on, of which there are many, mostly they're going to say when you, you know, you should work all the plot out so that as you write the first line, you kind of already know what the last line is. And apparently I was most interested to learn, I remember years ago, that Alan Aitbourne, the playwright, would sort of think about the play... I, I presume he probably made notes too, but he'd think about it for six months and then he'd sit down and write it all in four days. Yeah. Because actually, you know, the, the number of words in a play is yeah. maybe, I don't know, 10,000. And, you know, and you can, that doesn't take long to write if you know what you're writing. So, uh, but yeah, I, I have a, you know, plot is often a problem. And in the end, you've got to decide what am I saying? What is this about? And Arthur Miller, used to, who I once had lunch with, by the way, mm. doing a bit of some name-dropping, but Arthur Miller used to, apparently, once he'd started writing a play, he would, or, uh, you know, a bit of prose, he'd, he'd reduce it so to sort of one sentence, uh, and then he would stick that on the front of his uh, typewriter... And so he'd always have that in view as he was writing the plot and, the, you know. Well, sometimes when people ask me about Edinburgh shows, I tell them they should do the elevator pitch, which is, you know, sum up the idea in, like, 12 words, is it? Yes, because I think that's useful. Because then they, 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 they keep to that, just don't deviate from that. Yeah. Deviate. Well, also, in the, in the end, you have to advertise it and, yeah. you know, you have to reduce, you yeah. know, in a sense, yeah. you have to have a strap line, a, a line that says, you know come and see it, that people read and think, oh, that's good, I'll go and see it. At the risk of being obsessive about this, when, when did you write these novels and give up? You I wrote one in... Uh, yeah, maybe I'll see, I've still got one of them. I mean, a couple if of them. you went back to Naive, you'd read them as a, as yes. a, a, a cold, objective reader. Well, I agree. Well, this is one of the things I plan to do, except that, you know, they are in, uh, you know, about 20 boxes which yeah. lurk yeah. in a sort of back spare room. <laughs> and I, I've occasionally looked into these boxes, and there's still you open them, I mean... <laughs> Just a million things flow out, and you, and you think, oh yeah, and then, you know, it's an old love letter. Oh God, I remember it. Yeah, and then you know, blimey, what's this photo of? And I mean, I should really sort out my archives. I think there, there comes a time in a man's life when you have to go in that cupboard and sort your papers out. And maybe that's what I'm aiming to do now with this mindlessness. Well, so now the, but now the trouble is you'd have to actually uh, rewrite all the stuff that's in, in, in paper print form onto a computer <coughs> just to, before you could even start. Anyway, well, you, yeah, you, it's you're getting, true. You were getting back to mindlessness, and I said this would last 25 minutes because you're a busy man and you've got two minutes to go. So mindlessness, mindlessness. Well, then, what I'd like to do is take your two listeners, Sid and Dick, if Dick's won't come back in from their calf. A reference to Malcolm and Wise, Sid and Dick, of course. I know, yes, yeah, yes, indeed. Yes. In fact, they were real people as well, wasn't it? It was um, were. Dick, um, what were their names? Sid and, um, who knows? They were very funny. I mean. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, it's now down to about one minute twenty seconds, yeah. and I'd, I'd like to. Who moved Yatta Tatar? Carry on. End 
this mindlessness invitation. But have a look on my website at Daphne Fairfax Mindlessness. But I'd like you now listening. Just we're going to have thirty seconds of silence to finish this. No, apart from the sound, perhaps distantly of the dis- extractor fan, or possibly someone will come out for a fan. No, no, it's not cheating. Well, if you like, John, you could dub on some mindless music, which is that sort of stuff that goes, you know, really bland, slow music. Maybe put that out if you like. Ooh, ooh, yata No, you're obsessed with that. No, it'll be like, oh... i tell you what, this is another thing of mindlessness. Learn to speak like a priest. So I'll close now, all right? Thank you for listening to this podcast. It has been very interesting in this Soho Alley. I bid you a fine deep with mint with mid with oh fuck it. <laughs>